Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Keith Collins as he teaches from the Word of God. Amen. Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here. And um, this is actually kind of an impromptu trip. I wasn't planning on being here this weekend. And um, decided to come in a few days ago and called Pastor Henry or messaged him and um, let him know I was coming. And I believe that it's, it's one of those appointed times of the Lord. Amen. Always enjoy being here and just have such great honor for this house and for Pastor Henry and Beth and their family and Chuck and Brother Bill and all these incredible people that have served here for so many years so faithfully. And how many of you know that um, the older you get, the more important fruit and heritage and legacy becomes, right? Um, you know, Paul said his greatest joy, the, the thing that really caused his spiritual juices to flow, if we could say it that way, was not the size of a crowd or not even the miracles and the signs and the wonders and all the incredible things that this great apostle of the Lord saw, but he said his greatest joy, the thing that touched him the most, was when he saw those that he had ministered to fulfilling the call of God or doing what God had called them to do. So, um, so I am honored to stand in a big giant fruit bowl this morning. Amen. <laughs> An upside down fruit bowl, but a fruit bowl. But anyhow, so I, I just really, again, I just want to say um, that I really honor the house and honor the leadership here and just have such deep, deep um, feelings of love and friendship between Brother Henry and this entire group here. So thank you so much for opening the doors to me this morning. Amen. How many of you know, man, this music was like off the chart here this morning. Amen. Yeah, give, give them and the Lord a big hand. I mean, I've just kind of been swimming in the glory <laughs> since they first started this morning. And then Lee came up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Carol. Now, those guys are... I've never seen that act. I've seen, like, maybe you guys in the costume before, but these guys need to go on the road, man. <laughs> Amen. That's, 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 a hard, that's a hard act to follow, but I'm going to try. But, um, amen. How many of you remember there's Trunk or Treat coming? I don't think I'll ever forget it. <laughs> Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's, let's pray. I, I'm, I'm actually really stirred in my heart with a word this morning that I believe the Lord has um, impressed upon me to share. And I know we have folks um, that are live on my Facebook page watching and um, will be live probably different parts of the world this morning. So we welcome all of you here with us here at River of Life in Crawfordville, Florida. And we pray that you are blessed this morning as well. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, there is truly no one like you, Lord. Lord, even as we sang of your creative glory, your transcendent glory this morning, there are not human words to explain or to describe who you are. But Lord, in your greatness, you incredibly 
been your omniscience towards us and your greatness towards us and even showing us as you came and walked as a man on this earth, going through the things that we go through to prove this radical picture of your love for us. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. I pray this morning, awaken our hearts, O God. Open our ears, open our eyes. May we hear, as Paul said to those seven churches in Asia Minor, what the Spirit is speaking to the church in this hour. Father, quicken us this morning. May we realize that we are a people of the Holy Spirit. That you have called us to hear and to see and to advance your kingdom and your love in a dying and in a dark world. So Father, let lights shine brightly in this place today. You even said, now you are the light of the world. May we shine with your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have... um, been honored this this year, and it's amazing that we're already into October. But um, I've really been been honored this year to I can't remember exactly, but at least maybe twelve or thirteen different nations that I've been in over the last ten months, and heading to the Philippines with a team of twenty in about two weeks. Um, was just in the Bahamas two weeks ago, suffering preaching the gospel of Jesus. But how I many of you know there, there's hungry people and there's a church in the Bahamas? <laughs> people kind of mock me. So you're going to the Bahamas on a missions trip? I said, hey, they invited me. I'm coming to preach. <laughs> so even though we did do some diving for lobsters and speared some snapper and got a bunch of conch, um, we did preach the gospel and saw God move. But, um, but anyhow, we, we saw just great hunger there. And I've been in some challenging places this year as well. Um, by that I mean some areas that were considered closed countries. I saw that you guys are praying for the persecuted church next week, and I, I'm honored to hear that. I think it's so, so important for us to do that. And um, keep us in prayer. Over the next, really, four months, I'll be in some pretty radical, dangerous areas, but we feel like the Lord has given us some true clarity, some apostolic strategy regarding some of these darker parts of the world and how we are to advance the gospel into there. So myself, as well as some folks from the D.C. area and different areas are going into some of these challenging places. And so I just ask for your prayers. We, we go in faith knowing that God has opened the door. How many of you know there's really, uh, there's really no such thing as a closed country to the gospel? Amen. Understand the thought. It might be against the law, but there's a time even when Peter says, You've got to come to a place where you've got to ask, should we obey man or, or God? And it's not that we're trying to do something stupid, but, but I, I have found that the church is everywhere. And there are people of God in some of the most dangerous parts of the world that are gathering and praying and seeing miracles and winning the lost. And so it, it's, it's a major part, and we feel like we've kind of moved into a different season of our ministry. Um, some of you know I was pastoring for the last six and a half years in January of this year, I, I stepped out of the pastorate and um, began to really travel more full-time in, around the world as well as throughout America. And um, it's just kind of a different season for us, and, and we feel like this next season, whether that's a year or five years, um, this next season we'll spend quite a bit of time in countries that are experiencing persecution. So just just keep us in prayers. We are, as I'm, I'm going into one place to um, to raise up a a school, to tra- a year-long intensive school to train pastors as we're seeing so many Muslims radically saved. So we need 
village pastors and house pastors and people that meet in the woods and those kind of places. But, but anyhow, just, just keep us in prayer. But I say all that not just to tell you what we're doing, but um, just to let you know that, that I believe that, that God is stirring the church in a powerful way in this hour. It's, it's an interesting time even in our nation. And I turned 50 on September the 14th. Thank you for the video, Brother Henry, that you sent me. Um, but anyhow, I, I turned 50 on September the 14th, and maybe it's something about turning 50 that kind of changes a lot of things. Number one, you realize that the next decisions that you make, you don't have a lot of them to make. Even if you live 40, 50 more years, I mean, you have to, I believe, really be attentive to what God is saying and how God is directing um, another thing is you, you really begin to think of the generations that are coming up after you. And you really begin to, I feel, focus on the reason for your existence, the reason that we're a part of this beautiful thing called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have, I don't know how many times I've preached, I, I mean, I've, I've kept some type of a journals most of my ministry now, the last 30 plus years and there's been thousands of times that I've preached and thousands of hours of teaching I just I just taught um I was in Italy five weeks ago and I taught a group of seminary students on Ephesians 36 hours of teaching over five days so so I've spent so many hours in so many different settings but I I feel this urgency in my spirit this morning and um, there are some things that the Lord is, is stirring my heart with, maybe deeper than I've ever been stirred. And, and I've always felt passion and sincerity and, and the call of God. But, um, but I believe this is a very important time. So I, I want to talk to you tonight on the subject of what it means to live in the light of eternity. And I've talked about eternity. I never preached on the subject of eternity, but of course... I've mentioned eternity here and many other places because it's, it's a very, I believe, important New Testament subject that, that the early church did not just apprehend, but I believe they were apprehended by this. It was like a rudder in their lives. It, it steered them into the purposes of God that God had called them into. And I, I want to open up reading some, some scripture this morning from the book of Acts, the 20th chapter. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17 this morning. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. This is an interesting time in the life of the Apostle Paul. He is clearly full of an eternal vision as he's in this part of his life, in this part of Luke's book that we call the book of Acts that that the Apostle Luke wrote. But I want you just to hear what's going on here, and I want you to see the condition of his heart, how that this man was motivated in the purposes of God. Verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And of course Paul had spent some time in Ephesus, we know that, so he knew them. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first time or the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life any value, nor as precious to myself. In one translation, I'll be the King James, says something like, These things do not move me, or they don't hinder me, so to speak. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now this is a sobering narrative here. This is Paul giving this picture of what he knows is ahead of him. He said, even the Holy Spirit is warning me that persecution, probably imprisonment, and Paul was a man that really a lot of the New Testament was written from Paul's time in prison, whether it be under house arrest or in prison. But he, he, he understands again that this next season that awaits him is not going to be easy in the flesh. He realizes that because he is a man that has refused to compromise the preaching of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ, that more persecution awaits him. So he sets his face to Jerusalem, knowing that this is the last season of his life, most likely. He tells them, those that I'm speaking to, these elders from from Ephesus, you will never see me on this earth again. But he said, listen, there is no blood on my hands. I have been faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without reservation and without compromise. He was a man that I believe was, was owned by something than just a profession called the ministry. He was a man that was, if I could say it this way, and it's extreme, but he was possessed by the purposes of God. He was captivated or captured by this eternal dynamic called the call of God that had overtaken his heart, initially taken place on that Damascus road as he had those letters from the high priest to persecute the church. And our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, interrupted his plans. How many of you can thank God that your plans were interrupted? He finds himself now at this final season, what I would call the twilight of his life, and he said it's not going to be any easier in the flesh, but these things do not even move me. It's illogical. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense, especially to a Western mind. But I want us to, to look a little deeper into what motivated the heart of Paul and what I believe motivated so much of the early church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18, this 16 through 18, this is Paul again. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. Now, what is he talking about? 
Let's look at Paul's light momentary afflictions. He was beat by the Jews five times with 39 lashes. He was literally beat to death and left outside the city to die, and the Lord raised him up. He he said, everyone in Asia has turned their backs on me. He, He knew what it was to be hungry, to be cold, to be thirsty, to be naked, to be in prison. He spent a day and a night in the ocean after being shipwrecked. He he knew what it was to have spiritual sons leave him for the love of this present world. Here was a man, as he reflects back, he says, these are light and momentary afflictions. Now many of us, we get disturbed if we are unfriended on Facebook. And that's like persecution. I'm telling you, there is a, a different paradigm that that this man of God walked in. And and listen, I understand that we are not the Apostle Paul, but I also understand the same Holy Spirit that touched the life of the Apostle Paul is the same Holy Spirit that is present here today. He does not change. And the same flesh and blood that Elijah and Paul and every other great man or woman of God had, you have the same flesh and blood. What am I saying? We are all called to walk in an eternal paradigm. There is something beyond this present existence that God is calling us to, that God is stirring our hearts with. Listen, Paul said, these momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And just one more narrative here. Colossians, again, the same man, Apostle Paul, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, or set your affections, on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen, Paul desired the eternal treasures of God. Now, I I, want to qualify a few things this morning. And I've got some, I've actually have, I have a three-point sermon this morning, don't I, Chuck? Where's Chuck? Somewhere. I sent it to him. So I, I'm doing a three, I don't know when I'll get to the three points, but I do have three points <laughs> that I really want to get to, and I will. It won't be too long. But I, I feel like I need to, to kind of just qualify a little bit what I'm trying to get across here. You know, sometimes I think you're trying to even qualify it to yourself because you can feel such a stirring of the Holy Spirit. And then you ask God, okay, God, give me insight and and revelation and understanding. You know, Paul, one of the greatest prayers that he had for the church of Ephesus was that they would have understanding and wisdom and revelation, that they would even know how how high and wide and how deep the love of Christ is. So so my, my heart this morning is, God, open our hearts to who you say that we are. May we be overwhelmed with this sense of being full of the Holy Spirit. That Christ is really in you and me. 
It's not just what the apostles did in the first century or what great revivalists have, did throughout, have done throughout the centuries. It's who we are. That His blood prophesies into this room this morning that we are alive in Christ Jesus. And that the same Spirit that raised our Savior from the dead has quickened us in this earth to do the things of God. That we are not just waiting for a cloud to float on and play a harp, but now we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I understand that there will be a a catching away and that the Lord will come. I understand. Don't misunderstand me. I know there's some, some weird teaching out there. But I also understand that right now, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a guarantee. It's a seal of what God has already begun in His people that Paul calls new creations or new creatures in Christ. That we are not the same as we were. But we have been vivified or brought to life by the Spirit of God. Oftentimes I go in such dark places But every time I go, there's something that never, ever fails to amaze me. The light of the Gospel always shines. Always. Even where the church is persecuted. Even where blood is shed because of the Gospel. The Gospel works, friend. God has apprehended us with something that is glorious. And and I want to just say that, listen, maybe I'll say it this way at least a, and maybe the primary distinctive, or one of the primary distinctives of the early church and the original apostles was that they were fully apprehended by things that had eternal value. We used to sing some of those old songs. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the the blue. Remember those songs? And those are good songs. I'm not saying we've got to go back and sing all those. But, but, but there was something that I believe some people even in the past were apprehended by. They were in love with Jesus and the things of heaven and the things of eternity more than the things of this world. Amen. I'm going to make a bold statement because I believe it. I believe the church is drunk on worldliness. In other words, we are so in love with this present world that it, 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 it distracts us from evangelism, from prayer. It, it distracts us from having real focus and purpose in life. And oftentimes, we get just so distracted and pulled here and there, and we're, we're so um, overwhelmed with the spirit of this age that oftentimes we just got a little, like a little bit lighter when we should be having a, a big cube beam shining the glory of God out of our lives. You see, there's, there, there's something that we need to, again, be apprehended by. The, the early church, these, these original apostles that the Bible said turned the world upside down. Why did they turn the world upside down? What was it about them? Most of them were just common people. A lot of them were, were paupers. Poorer than church mice. Had nothing in the natural. But their hearts were set ablaze with the reality of who Jesus was. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And their, their, their life became full of eternal meaning. They, they lived their life. Oh, they weren't perfect. They had their challenges. 
But you can see this, this driving force that came alive inside of their hearts. Listen, my, my greatest desire this morning for me, for you, is that, that, that we step into a place of being able to really see these truths of who Jesus says that we are. That we don't just know how to preach about it and sing about it and write about it. But this becomes the very air that we breathe. That every day we wake up, and you know what? This day is a mission field. The next day, oh, I might, and listen, we have to work, we have, I understand all that, but every place is a mission field. And I'm not saying you've got to stand on the, um, on the lunchroom table at your office or at your business place and wave a Bible in people's faces and tell them they're going to hell. No, but every day you say, Jesus, let your love emanate from my life. Give me truth. Give me a word of knowledge. Give me a blessing to bless somebody with. Every day. We live in such a way that eternity becomes more real than those padded seats that you're sitting on this morning. That this is why we've been purchased. Listen, these early Christians, their, their lives, they, they lived in such a way that they, they maintained a passion for Jesus. Now, some fell by the wayside. When I look at the lives of even those Apostles that had spent their time with Jesus. These men, literally, they weren't just willing to do it. They did it. They gave their lives for something of eternal value. Instead of shrinking back, instead of living in trepidation and fear and and compromise, no, these men were fueled with the reality of what had happened to them. And do you remember when you got saved? How glorious it was? Listen, I, I remember very well January the 24th of 1985, about five, six miles up the road here. But I'm telling you something. That was the opening of salvation. Salvation is not just a one-time experience. It is a young, passionate Jewish man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth that makes Himself real in our lives every day. And as a result, we are stimulated to preach Jesus by the way we love, by the way we give, by the way we share our testimonies, by the way that we support the work of God. In other words, we're, we're, we're a different people. Now, I don't want to wax like theological in a seminary sense this morning. That's not my intention in any way, shape, or form, but I... I want to throw a word out, then I'll define it, and many of you know what this word is anyhow. But listen, when I look at the, the early church, their, their existence and experience was thoroughly eschatological. Now, what I mean by that is that they, they, they had like an already but not yet sense about them. In other words, the, the first believers believed that the future had begun. In other words, that proven by the gift of the Holy Spirit who again served as a guarantee that this was the promise of the Old Testament prophets that God would write His law on the heart of man. That, that, that something different was coming. Listen, what was the notoriety of Israel in her glory? It was the presence of Yahweh God upon them. These early believers were all Jewish. The first church 
in Jerusalem was, was Jewish. And listen to me, they really believed and were apprehended by the reality that, listen, it was almost as if the presence of God had been restored to the people of God. And they understood that Messiah had come. And Messiah had, had created something new. And it was something that was happening. Listen, theologically, we have been in the last days since the book of Acts, and we are still in the last days. You understand? In other words, these men and women in this early first century church realized that their purpose in this Greco-Roman world was to advance the gospel of the kingdom and eternity burned in their hearts. You see, I, I feel that already, but not yet sent in my spirit this morning. I know that I am not the man I used to be. Amen. I know I'm not yet who I will fully be. When we put off mortality, and the Bible talks about we'll have spiritual bodies, that's a different subject, but, but I, I, I know that right now, already, God has done something so glorious. Some of you were dirty, rotten scoundrels. Matter of fact, we all were according to Scripture. There, there, there is nothing... In, listen, we are not contributors to salvation. You understand that? It's only by the work of grace. This incredible miracle that took place in the hearts of those that know Jesus, there is no explanation. But when it really happens to somebody, everything changes, friend. It doesn't mean they become perfect overnight, but it means something is awakened on the inside of a man or a woman or a young person. They, they, they begin to taste of His love. They begin to partake of His glory. His grace becomes alive and real. They, they, their prison chains are broken. Their prison cells are open. And they walk into this marvelous light. And they're never the same again. Listen, the most miserable people I know are backsliders. And the reason is because they're never going to be satisfied until they get back to worship. Ever. Eternity creates a realm of worship. We realize that we join even with the angels. As we worship our King. Listen, sometimes, probably more now than ever, I have to pinch myself when I'm in certain parts of the world. It's almost surreal. Sometimes as I'm standing, maybe preaching to sometimes 10, 12,000 Muslims in a night crusade meeting, totally evangelistic. I, I, I ask myself, God, how in the world do you get from A to maybe, maybe I'm like an S. I still got some time before it's over. But maybe S or N, whatever. And I, I, it, it's surreal. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because, my friend, you are owned by something that is greater than you. The Bible said that a man stepped or ordered of the Lord can't make it happen. All you can do is yield your heart. Listen, you know what God's after? He's not after your talent. He's not after your ability. 
I don't care if you can preach a lick, that doesn't matter. Listen, what God wants is your heart. And when He has your heart, eternity explodes on the inside of you. And nothing is ever the same in your life again. <laughs> I had somebody before the service asking me, man, I want to go on one of those mission trips that are hard. Didn't you, brother? And there are times we go where there's no running water, no electricity. We're in, we sleep under mosquito nets. We bathe in buckets and we use the bathroom in the bushes. And it's, it's hard on the flesh. But it's in those seasons where I realize, man, this is the most glorious, joyous thing that I could ever experience. And oftentimes it's in those places that the light of the gospel shines brighter than any other place. And you realize even as we've listened to, to missionaries of the past talk about how they were willing to give their lives for Jesus and it wasn't a hard thing. It was hard for them not to do it. Why? Because eternity had become so real to them. What motivates our hearts this morning, my friend? What owns us? The Bible said, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Everything that we are jockeying for, everything that we're putting... Listen... Please don't misunderstand me. I, I believe we should be the best that God has created us to be. I believe in developing our minds, our bodies. I believe you should, listen, I believe you should be promoted. You should start businesses. I believe you should, you should manage. You should be the greatest employee, the greatest... La- I don't believe that, listen, just because we're... Sa- no, I believe the light of the gospel should shine brighter there than it does on a pulpit on a Sunday morning. It's in those places that God has called you to be a lifeline to a world that is dying. Therefore, eternity has to become real. That everything we do, as the Bible says, we do as unto the Lord. I want you to hear a quote from a missionary that was martyred in Ecuador in the late 1950s. Many of you know the story of Jim Elliot. One of the men that were with him, Nate Saint, he once responded to a question that was asked of him. Why is it that people would waste their lives as missionaries, especially in some of these indigenous, backwards places? And he said this, and the people who don't know the Lord ask, why is it that we are willing to waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble burst... They will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. What is he saying? When eternity becomes real to us, when eternity guides our heart, guides our passions, guides our finances, listen, friend, there's something that awakens. The church becomes normal. Why do we need revival? Not so that the sinners can come into the church, so that the church can wake up and then there'll be a divine magnetism that will draw the world in. But we've got to wake up to eternity. I'm going to give you three points and I'm going to close. I told you I was going to get to it. Before I, I, I do that, I, I want to read a um, sobering scripture to you. I have two 
sobering that I'm going to read before I close in the next 10 minutes. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all, Christians, this is not for the sinners, they will stand at the great white throne judgment, but all of us in this room, all those that are listening by Facebook, all the church around the world, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ is not about heaven or hell. It's actually about works. It's about treasures. It's about rewards. I don't know about you, but when I stand before the one that gave it all, radically gave it all, I, wanna, I don't want to lay some little cheesy penny in front of him and say, here, Jesus, this is what I did for you. I remember the evangelist in the Browns Revival, Steve Hill. He said when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ, he wants a crown on his head that is so big that he can't even balance it on his head. He has to hold it with his hands, and it's a representation of the souls that he has won for his king. And he wants to take that crown and put it at the feet of Jesus and lay before him and say, you alone are worthy of the praise. You are worthy of my life. And we will all stand before him and look in his face one day. What did you do? I don't know what he'll say, but I can only imagine. What did you do for me, Keith? Every word, every deed will be tried. These are, we don't hear this preached a lot. But it's a sobering thought. And I want to, again, I'm not trying to motivate you with fear. I'm trying to motivate you with worship. It's all, listen, it's all about worship. When your life is a reflection of the eternal purposes of God, every part of your being becomes an expression of worship unto God. When Priscilla and the team were singing that song this morning, my heart was fluttering violently. Who is this God? That with the frailty of clay lips that I am trying to convey, and without the Holy Spirit, I would just be a, a flubbering fool. But by the Holy Spirit, I can see that this is real. And I know that my life has been ransomed by the blood of this Savior. What does it mean to live in the light of eternity? Real quick, number one, we must deliberately live for eternity. What do I mean by that? Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 6.12. He told his spiritual son, his protege, Timothy, Son, fight the good fight of faith. Take, listen, take hold. This is a, this is a, a, a commandment to get violent with it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Listen, we got to be men and women of God. I understand that life can be hard and there is a part of me that's very pastoral. And listen, I know people go through hard times. And I know people go through challenging times. Sometimes it's due to relationships, finances, medical stuff. Believe me, in no way... Am I sitting here telling you that I've never gone through anything because I have and even currently gone through a situation medically with a, a grandchild? 
But I, I, I want you to understand something. In the midst of that, there's something that rings more true. We sang it this morning. It is well with my soul. It is well. Why? Because I, I've taken a hold of eternal life. James said life is just a, a mist. It's a vapor. It's here for a while and then poof, it's just gone. And all that's left in this world, if you don't live for Christ, is a tombstone, if you even have that with an epitaph. I don't want my tombstone to read, what if? What if I would have worshipped Jesus with all of my heart? What if I would have been a man of prayer? What if I would have given my life for the gospel? You see, we must deliberately live for eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, Paul said. you got to want it, friend. You know, I, I feel kind of good. I feel like God helped us yesterday. Because whether you're a Gator or a Seminole, we ain't got no reason to, hang our, to lift our heads up this morning. So all the pride is out of the room. And it's a good thing. Because listen to me. It makes us realize that really in light of eternity, all that matters is what is connected to Jesus anyhow. Oh, those things can be fun. I enjoy it myself, but understand what I'm saying. You see, whenever eternal life becomes real to us, we can say with Paul, these things do not move me. Number two, we must live and walk in the Spirit and in turn acquire proper vision or perception. Listen, if we are walking after the flesh, and I, I won't read that narrative there, but... You can look at that. But if we're walking after the flesh, then we can't even see things that are eternal. Listen, many people live in the the fog of this present age. And whether it's challenges or finances or children or whatever, friend, it is that distracts us sometimes. There is a place that we have called to live in, and that is in the Holy Spirit. And when we live there, we see differently. We hear differently. We perceive differently. To be a people of eternal understanding, we've got to be a people that live and walk in the Spirit and in turn acquire proper vision. My last point is this, and this is important. Maybe if the worship team can get ready or a keyboard player. This is an interesting thought, but I want you to hear me out, and we're going to close. We must be misfits in a world of misfortune, misery, and misunderstanding. Let me give you the the most challenging thing that I have read to you today, and this is the words of Jesus himself. John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Some of the most challenging words in the Bible to me. Now, now, what do I mean by... I don't mean that we are just belligerent and hyper-religious to where we offend people and... No, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. But I want to tell you something. The Spirit of the age has always confronted the message of the gospel of the cross. 
The thing that, that brings humanity to a decision is not religion. It is not just a church meeting. The thing that separates and brings humanity to a decision is this one thing. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you can talk about Buddha. You can talk about Allah. You can talk about any, any God you want to talk about. But when you begin to talk about Jesus Christ, it causes a disturbance in the air. If you don't believe that, just, just open your eyes in the culture that we live in. We've got to be misfits. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that we're just so weird. No, I believe we should be salt and light, understand. But we are not of this world. What differentiates us? You know what it is? The universalist says there's many cars, many train cars going to heaven. Just get on one and they're all going to end up in the same place. The Buddha cart, the Hindu cart, the Muslim cart, the Protestant cart, the Catholic. They're all just going the same way. Just get on one of those carts and everything's going to be okay. If that were the case, then Calvary was the biggest waste of time in history. I'm telling you, we have an absoluteness that owns us. Those of us that really know Jesus, we cannot amalgamate or blend into the spirit of this age and even false religion. Now there is something that boils down on the inside of our being. We must see Jesus glorified in our generation. Something burns on the inside of us and people might not like it. Listen, sometimes the most embarrassing thing to a Christian is to have to stand up for their faith. Can I encourage you, get an eternal paradigm and you'll never feel that way again. Paul said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed, friend. Listen, I've literally had people that have asked me to preach, and they would say, Keith, man, we really love you, you're exciting, da, 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 da. but could you maybe not mention a few things or not talk about a few things? And usually they're asking me not to preach the gospel. I'm telling you, friend, there's one way to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, my friend, there is no other way. Not through the Judaic law, not through Muslim faith. There's one way, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12, there is no other way. This absoluteness that we have causes us to be misfits, but it really causes us to be the ones that are normal. It is not normal to reject the gospel of the creator of the universe. God's calling us this morning to see eternity. Carolyn, can you just begin to play? Uh, I want to close with this. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. 
For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.